Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Monday, February 11, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Dolander is here with me. And the reason uh, we're talking to you on Monday instead of, say, Sunday night is because I got stuck in Reno on Sunday. We're supposed to leave at 8.10 a.m. So I left my hotel at like 6.30 a.m. We actually didn't leave Reno till like 2.50 p.m., sat on the runway for nearly... I don't know, three hours, missed every connection back to Memphis and Atlanta, except for the very last connection. Got home around 1.30 a.m. Now I'm doing this podcast, then I'll do my radio show, then I'll fly back to New York tonight after being in my actual home for like nine total hours. So I'm just as chipper as can be on this Monday. Norlander, how you doing? I'm doing great, GP. It's great. I'm glad to be here with you. I'm sorry about all the travel issues. I am actually anticipating hitting some when I leave uh, out of Chapel Hill on Tuesday because the Northeast is supposed to get snow. So I'm glad that you're going to get into NYC uh, well before I will because you're going to beat the storm. We'll see if uh, if the podcast might be a bit cursed uh, a bit cursed this week, but we'll see. But I'm in Chapel Hill, was in Charlottesville, obviously, for the Duke-Virginia game. I'm actually, this is a this is a podcast first. We I'm recording my end of the podcast from the exact dais podium, if you will, where Roy Williams will speak tonight along with Tony Bennett in the uh, in the UNC press room. So Carolina has been tremendous in helping out CBS Sports uh, in advance of the game. Talked to Roy Williams earlier today. You can watch that on HQ. We'll have coverage there uh, tonight as well. So that's what that's where I'm at right now. I am I'm getting a little bit hungry, but we got to get the podcast to the people. We hear you. We know people are reaching out. Thank you for your patience. It's now in your ears and we'll get more to you this week. But uh, GP, where do you want to start here? Let's just start where you were on, on Saturday. That was John Paul Jones Arena. Uh, final score, Duke 81, Virginia 71. It was, uh, on paper, the biggest game of the weekend, and the Blue Devils did not disappoint. Zion dunked. Zion blocked. Zion finished with 18 points, five rebounds, five assists, three steals, three blocks. The Blue Devils win by 10, completed the regular season sweep of Virginia. They're now 21-2 and two overall, 9-1 and one in the ACC uh, you were there. I will now accept your opening thoughts on Duke's impressive road win. Extremely impressive. Um, I Obviously, the way the game played out was beyond what anyone could have predicted, and I mean anyone, just because when you average 30.8% from three-point range across 21 games, and then game number 22, you are hitting above 60% and taking more than 23s on the way to doing that. That is the definition of aberrational. It is the exception to the rule. But regardless, you know, I don't think we're going to see a game again this season where Duke hits 60% of its three-pointers if it takes more than, say, 10 in a game. But we did see when Duke is playing at that level, it is hard to argue against. And there are plenty of amazing teams right now. But if you're telling me that Duke, the number one shot blocking team, the number one, the number two team in stealing, um, top five offense and defense with all that athleticism operating at that level. There's just no one that can match that. I, I don't think that I think and I wrote that on Saturday. I think that they are on a different plane when they play like that. The question is, how often will we get it again? I mean, that game was so impressive that heading into it, Virginia was ahead of Duke in many metrics, not all but many. And then afterward, obviously, Duke is now from a metric standpoint across multiple ones, uh, the number one team in college basketball. So uh, exceedingly impressive. I have to mention Zion's block because. 
I was sitting, so I was I was on that side of the court, but you're just a little bit off the floor at Virginia, and my angle was actually perfect. I was sitting next to uh, Clinton Yates from ESPN, and we saw like we saw Hunter get the ball, the, the kind of the skip pass over there, and the television angle is great, but f- from our vantage point, it it just it did not even seem possible that he was going to swat it to the point where like it it really looked like from our vantage point he materialized out of nothing like he just he was suddenly there and then that was a uh like the just the breath was taken away from pretty much everyone in the building an incredible moment zion obviously has had frankly he's had about 30 nba draft highlight real caliber plays i think that is his number one play of the season don't know if he can usurp it, but if there's anyone who can usurp that kind of play, it is him. Of course, LeBron James was sitting on the opposite side. He was in the building with Rajon Rondo. Quick funny note, Parrish. They mentioned at one point during a commercial break, and please welcome LeBron James. And there's this, like, applause. Rondo is sitting next to him, and he doesn't get announced, and he just has, like, the typical Rondo face on. It was actually it was, <laughs> it was kind of funny because he's, like, this really, really good, like, longtime NBA vet. He gets no love inside John Paul Jones Arena. Um, I got a, a quick thought on Charlottesville, but I'll wait for that afterward. That was my, my broad takeaway. I'm not selling on Virginia either. Still a top three team in college basketball. We'll get to the UVA-UNC stuff in a minute here. But uh, that was more about Duke really tapping into something that it hadn't and being all the more impressive in doing so. Well, when they're going to make 13 threes, uh, you know, forget about it. Like, it, I, I don't know that they're actually unbeatable, but they seem unbeatable because they're – they're just excellent at everything else. Top three uh, in, I mean, top two in offensive efficiency, top five in defensive efficiency. The only like real two troubling things, you know, when you break them down statistically, is um, you know they shoot thirty two percent from three point range, which ranks two eighty five in the country. They shoot sixty seven point seven percent from the free throw line, which ranks two hundred seventy seventh in the country. And yet they they're still one of the most efficient offenses in the country. And so when what that suggests is that they're awesome at everything except those things. So when they're going to be awesome at, at that thing, shooting from the perimeter, you know, just forget about it. You're lucky if you can stay within 10. And so anytime you tell me Duke's going to shoot the ball like that, I will tell you Duke's going to beat literally anybody by, by double digits. That's how talented they are. And um, as for Zion's block, I mean, I've watched it a million times at this point. He does come out of nowhere. It, it does. The reason it seemed to you like he had no shot to block the shot is because 99.9999999999% of humans have no shot to block that shot. Almost any time you see a perimeter uh, jump shot blocked, it is because the person blocking the shot is not normal. Because jump shooters know what they can get off and what they can't get off. It's why you so rarely see a, a jump shot blocked. Because these guys have been playing basketball there their entire lives. They know when they've got enough space to get a shot off or not. And so the reason that shot was taken is because it's a it's an open look. Except Zion makes it a block into the third row. I mean, it really was a ridiculous highlight. And there's been a bunch. I still think the coast-to-coast crossover was it Ty Jerome? And then dunk on Jay Huff yeah. was pretty great, but undeniably that, that block was something. 
it was something. And it also is a little bit of a microcosm of Duke's season so far in that, you know, R.J. Barrett was more the reason Duke won the game than anyone else. Now, Ty, uh, Trey Jones, I got to stop calling him Tyus <laughs> on podcasts and in print. Uh, Trey Jones was really, really good. Obviously, he wasn't there in the first game. Uh, but R.J. Barrett hit his first five threes. He set a career high in the first half. And Duke getting off to that start from three-point range early was the, like that was the formula to, to beating Virginia. If they could avoid the slow starts from St. John's and Boston College, it blew both those teams out in the second half, but it started off slow. Um, that was big, and Barrett was was very huge. But you know Williamson doing that, and uh, overall he like he had a pretty good game for himself, but it wasn't like it wasn't one of his three or four best games. It just it provided what I thought was the most memorable highlight of a, of an incredibly memorable season so far. But Barrett doing what he did was huge. Even Cam Reddish got rolling. This was another instance where the four freshmen accounted for, you know, 85, 90% of Duke's points. That's how it's gone most of the season. That's how it will continue to go for most of the season. Uh, as for UVA, the, uh, the you know, speculation about whether Ty Jerome would play or not, as we got closer and closer to game time, while nothing was official, I, I did feel like that was an inevitability. And... Um, Jerome said afterward that the medicine he, that he took, whatever it was, was starting to wear off and he was feeling a little sore. I think he'll be just fine to play UNC uh, here on Monday night uh, in advance of that game. And Duke had did, had did something that had never been done before, and that was it dropped 81 points at John Paul Jones College uh, Arena. That had never happened under, under Tony Bennett. Now, obviously, the three-pointers account for most of that, but it wasn't just that... It, Duke swept the season series of Virginia, got this huge win, locking in its no, number one overall seed status, which we saw earlier in the day when it was like that. And kind of interesting, I asked R.J. Parrott if he knew that. He said he was unaware of um, of the you know the the early reveal. He didn't realize that they were considered the number one team by the committee. Um, but getting that win, putting 81 on the board, giving Tony Bennett you know that kind of loss was uh, was you know. Eye-opening, and yeah, of course. Now, even more so, Duke has a, has a real inside track for the number one overall seed. And if Virginia were to lose at Carolina on Monday night, I think it just it, the gap gets, gets, gets that much wider because then I don't think Carolina can overtake Duke. It would really have to probably win out and sweep Duke to, to enter that conversation. Um, but Virginia still could. Like, w what if we get to the point where Virginia – loses one more game the entire season. It's just like so they drop one more road game or whatever, but they win the ACC tournament, they beat North Carolina and or Duke in doing that. Virginia still can get a one seed. They're not out of this. They've only lost to Duke this season. Really, really good team. So let's not uh, let's not sell too harshly on UVA, even if, by the way, it loses at UNC, which would be reasonable, a two-day two turnaround against the t two best teams in the league. That's a tough ask considering um, how different they are, by the way, to prep for. Um. I want to stay on this topic for a minute before we move on, touch on a couple of other things. To your point about Virginia can still be a one seed. Um, they'd still be a one seed today. You know, like this is one of the points I make over and over again. If the selection committee believes you're a one seed and you lose a game to the overall number one seed, a game in which they play uncharacteristically well from the three-point line, like that doesn't prove you don't deserve to be a one seed. So if I were doing the one seeds today, they'd look exactly the way they did on Monday, maybe in a, I mean, on Saturday, perhaps in a slightly different order, but it would still be Tennessee, uh, Gonzaga, Duke, and Virginia across the top. It's interesting. You say you asked RJ Barrett about being the number one overall seed. So I was talking to, um, you know, I was obviously at, at Reno this weekend uh, for Nevada, New Mexico. I was doing sideline and I was talking to Trey Porter afterward. He's a 6'11 center. He had a career high 20 points, nine rebounds. 
And I asked him, you know, the selection committee had you guys as a four seed earlier today in the bracket reveal. Um, I don't know what the rest of the question was. What do you guys have to do going forward to prove to them you're better than that? And he had no idea. He was like, I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. It, it is funny sometimes how much we and fans talk about this stuff, and the players are largely oblivious to it all. Like, they, you know, like we now know because we were in two places talking to two different players from two different teams that were considered among the top 14 in the country, according to the selection committee on Saturday. It was announced, national television, big deal. Jerry Palm in studio for crying out loud. Hmm. Their players don't even know. They do not care. I know it is. You're you're absolutely right. I think they start to know and care when we get to Selection Sunday, because frankly, there's a lot more media talking about it. Just the, the, the presence of bracketology forecasts. It's just more likely to hit their radar. But at this point in season, you know, you're a college kid. There's just there's so much going on. It is. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that. And I think you're absolutely right. Real quick, GP, Charlottesville, you said you hadn't been there yet. Got to get there as soon as possible. Really, really, really good town. A beautiful campus. Um, there's a few things that I still don't quite get that Virginia fans can fill me in on. Like some of the steps have the letter Z on them. The initials IMP are on some of the buildings. I really don't know what that's all about, but uh, their downtown mall is a, is a nice little spot. The Bodo's Bagels people, I had a lot of people tell me I had to have these Bodo's Bagels. They were they were indeed very, very good. And then um, dinner spot in Charlottesville I recommend is Public Fish and Oyster, which was uh, which was very quality. So I have nothing but very good things to say about Charlottesville with the exception of the traffic like it is a col- it is an average size college town and the traffic is absolutely abysmal like <laughs> the infrastructure there is is horrendous and uh but other than that um really good things in that arena is massive yeah i mean it's it's not as big as as the dean dome here but it's but it's close and it's it's gorgeous inside there's a brick facade uh really good facilities overall so that was impressive as well and it's just when you're when you see it when you approach it you're like Good God, that's just a huge, huge building for uh, for basketball, amongst other things. So just good returns on that. And, yeah, I hope you can get down there as soon as possible. Uh, thank you to all the Virginia fans who said hello, by the way. In fact, one of them who is a listener of the podcast and uh, has, has tweeted us tweeted at us on Twitter, I was walking through the arena on game day and like kind of spotted me. So I, I do always appreciate that. And um, to those who listen to the pod, we, we appreciate you all the more. And, um, hey, we'll see, what, we'll see what happens with your team in the coming days. But you got a good one, Tony Bennett. No, I uh, tweeted on Saturday uh, your your column, uh, pregame column out, and sort of explained like I'm in Reno, um, you know, for Nevada, New Mexico rematch, Norlanders in Charlottesville for Duke, Virginia, and John Hollinger, who of course works in the Grizzlies front office, he's a Virginia grad. He tweeted back at us. And he was like, "Paris, you got the short end of that stick," and uh, <laughs> because Charlottesville is by all accounts tremendous, but I, I got more uh, Delta Sky Miles than you got because it takes a long time, even if you leave on time. It takes a long time to get to uh, to to Reno. I had somebody uh, ask me, "So, what'd you get into in Reno?" And so I got it. It took me like fourteen hours leave my house to get to my hotel. Fourteen, fifteen hours, and I was like, "Okay, I'm in Reno. I'm gonna take a shower. I'm gonna get some dinner, and then I'm gonna like whatever the best casino is in Reno. I'm gonna go and you know I'll just kick it around and enjoy the uh, enjoy the the the." What is it? The biggest little city in the world? Something, something like, like that. that. And uh, so I swear to God, this is true. I take a shower, get dressed, jump a Uber to the Atlantis. That's what Google told me was the best casino in Reno. Got over there. I decided to have dinner there. Um, and I ate. And by the time I got through eating, I said, you know what? I am so tired. I'm just going to go back to the room. Why do I want to be tired and stay up till the middle of the night playing blackjack and probably losing a grand? 
I'm just going to go back to the room and watch Netflix and get a decent night's sleep. And I got like the best night's sleep I've gotten in forever on Friday night in Reno. So I didn't en- get out and enjoy uh, the city as much as I, uh, I planned on doing, but I had a, a, a tremendous time there. Anyway, let's get back to uh, Virginia because you're going to, you plan this trip properly. You're going to be able to see them again tonight um, at the Dean Dome, uh, North Carolina at Virginia. It's, it's tough. Um, you know, one of the things that coach told me a long time ago, it's a very simple point of view, but I, it stuck with me if only because it's catchy. Um, he said, you never want to lose a game you're supposed to win right before you play a game you're supposed to lose. Like that's how you get into losing streaks. And Virginia, uh, by definition on Saturday, lost a game it was supposed to win, a home game against Duke. It was favored to win that game. Now, I, I think the line is actually a pick em. North Carolina at Virginia, but still, you don't want to lose a game before you have to go to North Carolina. We've seen Louisville win there this season, so North Carolina's been a little inconsistent at home. Uh, but still, just your thoughts on on tonight, Virginia at North Carolina. You'll be there courtside. GP, this is I think this is really hard to predict. Now, I will offer a prediction. I'll take Virginia by, say, two points, but North Carolina winning obviously would be not shocking whatsoever. It lost at home to Louisville, as you mentioned, but other than that, Hasn't lost since we saw them lose in person in, in an underwhelming performance in Chicago uh, on December 22nd at the CBS Sports Classic. But other than that, they've been rolling. They've been playing well. Um, Virginia, of course, defensively, elite, offensively, nearly as good uh, and ranks last in adjusted tempo uh, possessions per game. But here's what's interesting for North Carolina, which always likes to push it. And I, I got a chance to, to sit down and talk with Roy before we did this podcast. He actually said, my team's never play as fast as I wanted to play like there is there is no speed that is that is too quick in the eyes of Roy Williams when it comes to his teams but this is the fastest team he has coached since he was at Kansas in 2001 2002 in terms of adjusted um, tempo and raw efficiency uh, uh, sorry raw possessions per game so they can really go a lot of that is because of Kobe White Kobe White, so I didn't see almost any of this game on Saturday, but UNC is coming off a close shave win against a Miami program that has done very well against UNC in recent seasons, and that's regardless of venue. So it's just sometimes, you know, coaches will tell you that there are certain coaches or programs or teams where you might hit like a a two, a four, a six, an eight-year stretch where you just know that that it's just never going to be easy regardless of how – good you might be or how how bad they might be relative to their record. Miami is that for UNC. It gets a win. Kobe White is the only freshman. This is crazy. Kobe White is the only freshman in North Carolina history to score at least 33 points twice in his freshman season. No one else has done it. Only a handful of players have actually managed 33 or more in a game as a freshman. Hansborough has the record with 40, but he also went for 33, had six assists, was the first player since Joe Forte, who's, by the way, I loved Joe Forte as a college player. 19 years ago, he went for 33 and six. Uh, so Kobe White's been tremendous. You had Luke May hit a big shot in that game to get it to overtime. Kenny Williams hit a huge shot in overtime to seal the win. But uh, but Kobe White is clearly a top 10 freshman in America. He is encroaching top five status, frankly, overall. Want to see how he does as a freshman going against that Virginia defense. Also want to see just Virginia's overall composure coming off the Duke game. I expect him to play relatively well. I don't think because of the way uh, because of the way Tony Bennett coaches this team and his personnel and their mindset. Um, I think they'll be I think they'll be pretty good to go. If they lose, I'm I don't think it'll be too much of a Duke hangover kind of situation. But this is an awesome game, a fascinating game. It's a seven Eastern tip. Shouts to everyone that got a pod listen in before this game tipped. And uh, I'll I'll ride with Virginia in a close one. But but 
most intrigued by Kobe versus the overall Virginia defense. And just as a side note from here on site, this is the mo- like there's a ton of intrigue. Uh, building is going to be, you know, huge building going to be packed, sold out. But from a um, from a scout perspective and from a credential perspective, uh, was told that this is as busy as it is for a non-Duke game as it's been in years. So uh, should be an incredible environment inside the Dean Smith Center on Monday night. I'm going to take North Carolina at home, but obviously it's a coin flip situation. I'll just go opposite of you to go opposite of you to make our um, season-long picks contest more interesting than it otherwise would be. But that is the biggest game of the night. On Monday night schedule, it is uh, Virginia at North Carolina. You can read about it. The Orlando file from there, cbssports.com. Uh, um, I mentioned earlier that this season's uh, first bracket reveal from the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee was Saturday on CBS. We're going to talk about that next. But first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So this season's first bracket reveal from the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee was Saturday on CBS. It's America's most watched network. It's uh, America's most awarded network. It's the network of stars. The four number one seeds as of Saturday morning, Duke, Gonzaga, Tennessee, Virginia. Same as my top four, just in a different order. 13 of the committee's top 16 uh, were listed in my top 16 on Saturday morning. All 16 were in my top 21. So I really didn't have any major complaints. I could quibble with a, a little bit. You know, team a little too high, team a little too low. But um, I thought more or less it was a a pretty good reflection of of what the college basketball season has been so far. Norlander, did you have any major complaints about what the selection committee unveiled Saturday? Um, Major, no. Uh, And part of that is just a a function of this being an in-season kind of deal. And there are, you know, there's just so so many more games to be played. and, And we'll wait and see. Here are my quick notes on it. Um... I did. I, they got the one seeds right, and and the order was right. One, two, three, four: Duke, Tennessee, Virginia, Gonzaga. Uh, the two line, I didn't really have an issue with either. You know, you had Kentucky as the highest two seed. I thought that was right, and then Michigan, then Carolina, then Michigan State. I think that was that was pretty accurate. I uh, we don't need to you know do a, a coda on our previous podcast. I value the lack of losses, so I actually. I don't have an issue with it, but if you had put Houston on the two line, MSU on the three, that's not going to happen because of MSU's quality wins. I would have been cool with that totally. Uh, A good sign for Houston, though, that it lands on the three strongly. 
Kansas as a three was surprising to me, but and I'm basing my next comment off of you know conversations I've had with committee members this season and seasons past. Kansas is not a three seed as it stands right now. They are not playing like a three seed. Without Yudoka Azubuki, they don't have the resume of a three seed. We don't know when they get LeGerald Vick back. I think Kansas landing on the four would have been appropriate in the moment, but whatever. They're a three based on their body of work, and they're taking into account when Azubuki was there. And yes, they do have some good wins without him on the floor uh, from the times that he was out prior to his season-ending injury. But I was intrigued for them to be 10th overall. I just, again, that's a, that's a situation where I think the top-end wins are really taking into account a lot of what's happening there. Um, Purdue as a three was shocking. Not only a three, the highest rank three. Um, so if you're a Purdue fan and you've been screaming at Paris forever, there was extreme validation. My last note will be this. I would have put... I would have put Nevada easily on the three line. Now, I get it. They're limited by their opportunities. But the thing that Bernard Muir, the Stanford AD, and the committee chair talked to me about was he is aware of those things. The committee is aware of those things. But it didn't reflect that. Nevada's got no business being a four, in my opinion. I know what they don't have at the top of their resume. But I also know how well they played relative to their competition. And they're rolling over people. That road loss to New Mexico and the, the gap of it clearly cost them a seed line, in my opinion. This is, uh, in my opinion... If Nevada had lost at New Mexico by three points, it would have been a three. I think the gap of that loss played a significant part. So they were on the four line. Nova was just shy. I love the fact that Muir told us, because we haven't gotten this in the past, he told us the one team that didn't get in but we were debating, Villanova. We had them 17th overall. Then they go, they lose at Marquette, who was a three. So those are my quick kind of takeaways of, you know, of it. Um, interesting, somewhat expected. The Kansas stuff, I think, would be my biggest quibble, if not Nevada. Um Obviously, Purdue, for me, all you have to do is look at my uh, top 25 and one and then compare it to you know what the selection committee unveiled on Saturday, and you'll know the biggest discrepancy is uh, Purdue. I now have Purdue in the top 16, I think 16th in the top 25 and one. So I would have them as a four now. Uh, the committee would have them as a three. I would have them as the last four. Committee had them as the first three. Um, but, you know, they, they are undeniably playing well. I think they are – you know, 11 and one in their past 12 games, that stretch includes victories over Michigan state, Iowa, Wisconsin, and five of their uh, six losses on the season are to teams that are in the top 25 at, at Ken Palm. And so they've really put together a nice resume. The only thing you would call a, a bad loss would be a neutral court loss uh, to Notre Dame. Um, and that is a bad loss given what Notre Dame is this season. But outside of that, they've they've been they've been rock solid. And so um, I, I don't have a big issue with Purdue being uh, the, the ninth overall seed, a, a three seed according to the committee. It's not where I would have had them, but I can certainly under understand the logic. To your point about Houston, uh, great sign for them because you know you and I both value lack of losses. Uh, the the loss column matters to us. I've never been certain that it matters as much as it should to the selection committee, but, um, you know, when Houston is, is, uh, placed as the 11th overall seed by the selection committee, which makes them a three seed, uh, you know, then they go out and add on Sunday. So that's unveiled on, you know, early Saturday on Sunday, they go out and add a quadrant one win over Cincinnati. So wherever their standing was with the selection committee on Saturday, it's gotta be better, uh, as we sit here and talk on, on Monday morning. And so, uh, that's obviously a good stuff to your point about Nevada and we'll get into them a little bit more uh, in a second, but that's the thing people say, well, they don't have a single win over a ranked team. Okay. And, and tell me how they could have got one. 
what were they supposed to do? You know, they, they scheduled as aggressively as they could in the non-league. Um, Loyola hasn't been as good as they hoped. USC hasn't been as good as they hoped. Arizona State hasn't been as good as it hoped. So when you just sort of, without context, scream that Nevada hasn't beaten a ranked team or hasn't beaten a, you know, a top 40 Ken Palm team, okay, but if I gave the same schedule to the Golden State Warriors, how many top 25 wins would they have? Zero. They're not there to have. You can't get them. Would you then, you know, make make Golden State a four seed? No, you just recognize they're awesome and, you know, there's nothing they can do about their schedule except, you know, win just about every damn game that they play. And and that's what they've been doing. So, um, you know, I, I talked to the staff about it, you know, pregame, and they were – I don't even want to say disappointed as much as just indifferent. Like, hey, let's just go out and beat New Mexico, then we'll worry about everything else. But I, I do think a four seed's about the floor. Um, if they don't lose again, and they really might not lose again, I, I think they can get as high as a two. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I were just sort of trying to predict right now, I would say Nevada as a three seed. And then imagine oh, – how about this? Well, we'll, we'll get to all that in a, in, a, in a second. But Nevada as a four seemed low to me, you know, particularly when I have them uh, – let me double check. I have them eighth in the top 25 and one. So I'd have them as a two seed right now, four obviously low. Uh, but either way, they're going to be in the top four range. They're going to be favored to, to at the very least, uh, get to the Sweet 16. Um, I was in Reno this weekend, and I want to spend just a minute on that. Um, I was there longer than I anticipated. Uh, that was ide- wasn't quite ideal. And I'd been fine if I just got to enjoy Reno longer than I anticipated. No issue with that. Problem is I got to the airport at like 7 a.m., and really all I enjoyed was, um, <laughs> you know, seat 4D. Um, on a Delta flight, sitting on a runway for about three hours. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that a low-key humble brag? First class mention right there, GP. I think it was. It was. It? Yes, you drop in the 4D. Continue. <laughs> I could have said, you know, I sat on a runway for three hours, yeah. but I, I had to say 4D. I could have hammered. 4D it is a lot different from 24D on a runway. Let that be clear. It's 20. You don't. You yeah. 4D is a lot different than 24B in between, like uh, two you know uh, big people so uh yeah it wasn't as bad as it could have been but it still wasn't great um either way uh, still just a great trip had a bunch of podcast listeners come over introduce themselves so that was cool shouts to all you guys and then i got a chance to watch nevada um you know just put on a show inside the lawler event center which was jam packed um i think courtside tickets were going for like in some cases i was told there was one prominent booster whose tickets were going for like $750, $800 per seat courtside. So, you know, Muss has really got, you know, that entire fan base fired up. They win 91-62. Place was on fire. Got to spend a lot of time with Muss and his staff uh, pregame. It's funny. We hear about these coaches, or either we, we see it with our own eyes, who are wound so tight, you know, pregame. Like, you know, as well as I got, as well as I do, there are certain coaches that you couldn't even try to, say hey to them pregame like they're just so just wound up whereas like pregame after shoot like so shoot around was maybe i don't know mid-morning and you know afterward Musk was like so what time are you getting back to the arena i think tip was at three local time and i was like i don't know probably about 1 30 he's like all right just come back to the office and i was like okay what, what will you guys be doing he's like i'll just be bored watching games so like if if, if, if you want to hang out come hang out and so we just like hang in the office up until about 15 minutes before the game 20 minutes before the game uh, just very loose. And I know Musk can be wound up on the sideline, but pregame, he was just very relaxed. His staff was very relaxed. I got to spend a lot of time with them. 
Um, and we did talk a little bit about the bracket reveal, because even though I mentioned Trey Porter had no idea what it was, uh, the staff was very aware of it. They noticed that they were a four. Um, let me ask you what I, I told you. I think the ceiling is probably a two. The floor, barring bad losses, is probably a four. Um, where do you think Nevada ends up on, on Selection Sunday? My guess is a three. I think Nevada will lose once more, but whether that's in the tournament or if it's at Utah State, one of those two, they'll lose. And given how other teams are going to take losses around him, I think there'll be a three. I, a two-loss Nevada team, to me, I would probably put as the low two. Um, as happens in most seasons, there's also a weird thing where they're going to try and balance the bracket, still give some uh, credence to geography as well. Um, they're going to go out west. If they're a three, who's going to be the two there? And is that two not going to be happy because they'd rather be a three uh, elsewhere closer at home? We'll wait and see. But in short, that is my guess with Gonzaga being the one. One housekeeping note, by the way, Killian Tilly for Gonzaga is out for the rest of the regular season, maybe the entire season. He's got a plantar fascia issue. So Gonzaga continues to roll and just kill everyone in the WCC. They're going to be the one seed in the West. But the Tilly, it just it, worth addressing real quick on the podcast if any listeners missed that. But Nevada, I'll sign me up for a three. If they don't lose again, there are two. I think they're a lock, a lock for a two, but they got to run the table. So when we talk about these things, we often talk about it. And again, this was just a television show. Really, I mean, that's all it is. It's a television show on Saturday. It's it's great original programming leading into a college basketball weekend, but it's just a television show. It doesn't really mean anything. So getting all worked up, I mean, I don't want to say it doesn't mean anything, but like getting worked up about it just seems like a waste of energy. Um, but to the extent that people do get worked up on, about it, they say things like, oh, Nevada got screwed. Nevada's ranked six in the country in the AP poll. You're going to make them a four seed? We've talked about this before in previous years. It is, um, it's not screwing Nevada, uh, probably as much as it's screwing the one seed that would have to end up in the regional with Nevada. Because can you imagine being a one seed, whether it's uh, Gonzaga, Duke, Virginia, Tennessee? And now in the Sweet 16, you've had this amazing year. And in the Sweet 16, you're playing a Nevada team that probably won more than you did last season, probably won more than you did this season, is more experienced than you, um, is I don't I don't know about more talented because like nobody's more talented than Duke, but I mean they've got 23 year olds, they've got a five star freshman, they've got the all time leader in Mountain West double doubles, I mean. Martin twins who either of whom could have turned pro last season decide to come back to school. That is a scary one, four matchup. If Nevada is really going to get a four, you got to play a team that, that has been dominating the competition all season long and is only a four seed because of league affiliation. And that would be the only reason I think you take Nevada right now. You put Nevada in the PAC 12, they win the PAC 12. You ready for this? Put Nevada in the big 12. I think Nevada wins the big 12. Agreed. And you're only going to get they they'll only get a four seed based on nothing more than their league didn't give them opportunities to get quadrant one wins. Their non-league schedule, even though they tried, didn't give them the opportunities to get enough quadrant one wins to be able to get the seed that their talent level, that their accomplishment level, probably requires. That's scary for the one seed that gets paired with them if they are indeed a four seed. Yeah, I'd I'd be surprised if that happened. But you're right, and if we got that, that would be a uh... 
that'd be something. I'll, I'll be intrigued to see how the West just shakes out in general because you'll have two teams that out West that are worthy, and then the other two are just going to get shipped out of the region entirely. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. You know, you mentioned Houston. Yes, clearly got a big-time home win over Cincinnati. Um, might Nevada be the three, Houston the two, Gonzaga the one. I think that's, I think that's possible. We'll wait and see. And then uh, Marquette, by the way, got the win at home over Nova late after, you know, it was in the top 16 as it should have been. Nova just on the outside looking in. And it wins in part because, frankly, it got a little bit lucky. Phil Booth missed uh, a layup that I think he'd make more times than not. Doesn't matter. Marquette wins. Uh, a big win for them. And just to wrap this, uh, K-State fans, we know. You're probably frustrated right now because you had a two-game lead in the Big 12 and you weren't even in the top 16. But let's just see what comes here uh, in the next week or so. Rest assured, Kansas State fans, if you win the Big 12 regular season title and you do so by multiple games, which I don't think will happen, but if you did, your seed is going to be quite nice uh, come come Selection Sunday. You will I guarantee you'll be in that top 16. Uh, so Tuesday night. There are three ranked teams on the road against teams that are also ranked. So I'm going to give you the three games, and then I want you to tell me which road team you will take to win. The games are Purdue at Maryland, LSU at Kentucky, Michigan State at Wisconsin. Which road team is most likely to win the game? I'll take Michigan State against Wisconsin. That's all real tough, GP. Um, Purdue won again, by the way. It's won eight straight, so it's game at Maryland. Like, that's that's tricky. I like Maryland's talent. I'm going to take the Terps to hold on and win at home there and create a, a, a bit of a uh, – even more of a clog, I think, in the Big Ten, particularly if Wisconsin wins. Like, if Wisconsin beats Michigan State, Maryland beats Purdue um, – the top end of the Big Ten, it's it's got more mystery than I think we thought we'd have, which is fun. I like that. You know what? You got a you got a league that's probably going to send eight, maybe nine. Things got to break the right way though. Like Indiana losing again is hurting its case. You know, can Minnesota get the wins where it needs to get the wins? The Big Ten is very strong up top now, but between you know Ohio State getting a win it needed, uh, Iowa barely getting out against Northwestern, but it got the win, so it helps in the standings. And and they're nineteen and five. But you're seeing just between Minnesota. Indiana, who's going to – Nebraska loses. I mean, Nebraska is just – its case is just – it's crazy. They're 36 in Ken Palm, and they're, and they're second-worst team in the, in the league standings. It's wild what's happening there. But anyway, I'll take Michigan State. I think of those three you mentioned, though, by the way, LSU-Kentucky might be the best of those games. But I got to take Kentucky to hold serve at home uh, and beat a, a, an LSU team that, that won again over the weekend. And they are, they are definitely another one of those teams like Kansas State has to be considered just knocking on the door, just on the outside. I figure it was probably in the top 20 of the committee's rankings just didn't make the top 16. I think uh, LSU is 12-1 and one in its past 13 games. The lone loss being a weird loss at home to Arkansas, but it was really uh, only a one-point loss. And if you look at their entire resume right now, LSU, uh, they've got four losses, once an overtime loss, and one is a one-point loss. So they are 19-4. and four. They could very easily be like 21-2. and two. Um, That is an interesting game, uh, and it's an interesting week for Kentucky because Kentucky hosts uh, LSU, and then that's on Tuesday night, and then they host Tennessee, obviously, in just a massive matchup on, um, on Saturday. And so um, that LSU-Kentucky game might be the most interesting game of the, of the three, if only because – I feel like at this point we've seen everybody in the Big Ten beat everybody else in the Big Ten. Like it's like whatever. Like whatever happens with Purdue, Maryland is just like it won't be shocking. Whatever happens with Michigan State, Wisconsin won't be shocking. But at least the SEC game, LSU at Kentucky, gives us an opportunity to see one of two things. Either 
LSU um, pull off an upset at Rupp Arena and really launch itself into the national conversation. I think get its first big signature win of the season or Kentucky gets another um, quality win and continues to roll really since uh, the night it got destroyed by Duke uh, in the Champions Classic. Um, LSU will be the most uh, significant underdog in this in these three games, though. I think Ken Palm's got Maryland as a one-point winner over Purdue and Wisconsin as a one-point winner over Michigan State. But I'm actually going to agree with you. If I've got to pick one of those road teams to win, I take Michigan State at Wisconsin. We've seen, uh, obviously, Wisconsin be good this season, but um, I, 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 it wouldn't be shocking to me to see Michigan State go into the Kohl Center and and win a game. We've we've seen them lose there um, twice already. I think once uh, to Purdue at home, and then um, the other one was maybe to Minnesota at home. And so I do think that, uh, you know, Wisconsin is, is clearly good enough to be Michigan State, but gun to head, got to pick one. Give me the uh, Spartans on the road. Okay, so we're in agreement there, unfortunately. I was hoping disagreement. All right, a uh, couple quick things before we wrap up with uh, with some interesting uh, recruiting news. i got to mention just these few things over the weekend because I don't know how often we're going to mention these teams the rest of the season. Um, well, Nor- Northwestern, there were some crazy collapses. Northwestern should have won at Iowa, and it didn't. It blew a huge lead in the final three minutes. You know, UCLA fans wanted Steve Alford out, and it, it's not making a difference. Okay, UCLA blows in an insane lead at home against Utah. Like I thought – Gonna stop it blows like UCLA blows period. Well, that okay. that and this, I mean, it is nope. it is crazy. It was one of the most ridiculous collapses we've seen, and we've actually had a few games this season where some teams have had some crazy collapses. So UCLA dropping, I mean, it was up like 15 points with less than four minutes to go. It just it's just crazy. And then, but the but the roughest loss of the of the of the weekend. Let me stop was, you there for a second. So I'm on the plane traveling home. And I see somebody tweet, and I, I, I just, I'm trying to make the best of my time. Like, this day is terrible. Because, again, I left my hotel room in Reno at, uh, you know, 6.30 a.m. I got into my home last night at 1.30 a.m. So I'm like, this day is terrible. I'm just going to catch up on Netflix and, and try to get as much work as I can done. And so I see somebody tweet, I was down 15, four minutes to go. So I immediately go in and adjust the top 25 accordingly. <laughs> Like I'm, I'm, and I, I write the little comment that Iowa lost, and and I've got, I dropped them down to wherever I dropped them down to, and then I fell asleep, and I woke up, and this is how I could have got caught. Like those dummies get caught all the time that on the pull attacks, they just miss something for whatever reason, and it, like this is one where I could have got caught if I never rechecked the score because I had already adjusted for Iowa's loss. That's how much of a surprising come from behind win that was. Look at Paris. Oh man. That would have been actually that would have been very entertaining if you had. I, <laughs> I I don't wish that upon you, but it would have been it would have been intriguing if that no, had happened. No, I'm I'm due for one, but that's you what are. I always tell people because every once in a while they pop off like, oh, Parrish wants to highlight other people's mistakes. Well, stop making stupid mistakes. Like every like these people are some of them. Some of them are just like they just don't know what they're doing. Others are just like, hey, you know, I made a mistake. I didn't realize that team lost a game. Well, th- knock on wood, but that's never actually happened to me. I've never not known the result of a game and had the rankings reflect that I didn't know the results of a game or that I had it mixed up. It doesn't mean that I might not have something that you would disagree on, but it's never been rooted in something incorrect. And last night I was at risk because I fell asleep on a plane thinking that Iowa had lost that game. And if I would not have gone back and checked that score this morning or late last night, 
the the rankings would have reflected an Iowa loss when it was actually an Iowa win. I, I dig it. So Iowa gets it out. UCLA doesn't. Utah wins. That's just you know, it's just things can't change soon enough for UCLA. The toughest loss of the weekend has to go to Illinois State and Dan Muller. They lose on an absurd, and the, and the story video is up at cbsports.com if you haven't seen it. Missouri State, it, it's a scramble for the ball between Illinois State and Missouri State, and there's a, there's a half-court heave at the buzzer. Missouri State wins. It's not just that. Illinois State has lost two games in league play this season at the buzzer from half-court. When was the last time that has ever happened, if it has ever happened? You lose two conference games at the buzzer, at half court, just insane. So, so thoughts with a f- fellow Chicago Bears fan, Dan Muller, who probably isn't even over the Cody Parkey stuff yet. And then lastly, two quick Pac-12 things. One, Washington loses at Arizona State. So Arizona State's at large hopes, you know, st- still faint, but they're out there. I mean, they, Washington State swept the Arizona schools on the road. I, I don't get the Pac-12 whatsoever, but hey, so it goes. Arizona State's still out there. And then... Um, we're not going to probably be able to talk about Colorado, Buffalo basketball the rest of the season, but Tad Boyle, who is Tad Boyle, is a is a great coach to deal with. Just in terms of behind, behind the scenes, he's he's just he's very uh, media friendly. Um, tries to tries to schedule the right way. Can't get power conference teams to go to play at uh, to play at Colorado, but there has been a simmering, if not boiling, rivalry and just general dislike between. Uh, Colorado and and USC over the past couple of years because Boyle went out and basically was like we don't cheat, you know some schools do and basically took a shot at USC last season. So Colorado wins, <laughs> and we almost had like a real dust up between Tad Boyle <laughs> and then and I think an assistant maybe it was Adobo or something in the in the handshake line and the video of it. I don't think it got like crazy vile, but like. It got shared a bit, and uh, it, it, it was just like, a, hey, dude, wait, what's your problem? What's your problem kind of deal? And it could have gotten bad, but it didn't look like a player might have even gotten into it a little bit there. And um, I don't, I'm, you know, our, our friend Mike DeCourcy thinks the handshake line should be abolished. Seth Davis doesn't think it should. I'm ambivalent on the handshake line, to be honest with you. I don't care if it's there or if it's not. But, um, hey, if it's going to give us, like, these kind of subplots, I'm, I'm kind of for it. So Colorado's really going through it this season. But that was uh, that was just I thought worth noting real quick because we haven't talked about the Buffs at all this season and they're not making the tournament. So uh, um, on the handshake line because it is interesting, Seth and my, two of the most I, I think respected uh, voices in the sport of college basketball like totally disagree on this. I will say that I I enjoy the moments where I see coaches take real time with other players. One of the people and I know people love to like just bang on. Mike Krzyzewski for a variety of reasons, but he is all I've noticed him. He, he seems to look every player in the eye and say something to them, even if it's just like good game or, or, you know, like uh, whatever he says, I don't know. You could ask him, but he seems to understand it might mean something to these other players to shake hands with coach K. And he seems to like really take a moment to, to give them that moment. You know who else is, like, fabulous at that, by the way? Phil Mickelson. If you've ever been around Phil Mickelson, like, on a golf course, he takes time to, like, look people in the eyes and smile at them and, and you know, say hello to them, like, you know, you know looking at them in their face. They, he's very good at taking a millisecond to provide a memory for people that, that they'll hold on to forever. And I've seen Kay do similar stuff in the handshake lines. And, and for that reason, I, I've always enjoyed I, – I, I thought they're, they can be worthwhile. Yeah. 
Um, all, uh, all that said, I don't care about sportsmanship. And maybe that just makes me a bad person, but like the idea that after the game we need to all shake hands in the spirit of sportsmanship, like that doesn't really matter to me. And for every good moment you get in a handshake line, you do just get people like just you know quick you know quick walking past each other. It doesn't seem to be meaningful to anybody or to almost anybody as much as it seems to just be this is something we have to do. So they can keep it. I'm fine, but they could get rid of it, and I'd I'd also be fine with that, frankly. Uh. Yeah. Okay. So, lastly, here we've got a we've got a big commitment, but the timing is also interesting uh, because I love this GP. We get a five star commitment. Anthony Edwards goes to Georgia. Announced it on CBS Sports HQ on Monday morning. That was awesome. Great stuff. And yet, it comes two days removed from one of the weirder comments we've seen a coach make this season. Um, in that, Tom Crean basically said, "You know, I had the choice." to keep some of these guys not I kept them we're not that good this is all on me but at the same time he kind of like threw the Mark Fox players under the bus so big get for Georgia I love the fact he picked over Kentucky I like when you get a top five player going to an uncommon destination for me it just makes it more interesting for college basketball um but it's just weird timing it comes from after Crean you know rightfully so kind of got attacked for uh for just the the peculiar way he presented his comments about those players and what's obviously been a struggling season for Georgia um I see this happen a lot of times with first-year coaches. They don't maybe like Tom's comments were, um, you know, he he talked he he elaborated more than some other coaches might. But oftentimes coaches inherit these situations, and they know they only inherited these situations because they were bad situations. And initially, it's like, but I'm not going to throw the kids under the bus. You know, this is. You know, this this is I'll take responsibility for everything. But then it does get incredibly frustrating because you've got these players who can't do or won't do what you ask them to do. And so in a sometimes subtle way or in a passive aggressive way, a first year coach will say something similar to what Tom said. In other words, last week. So Memphis is up 11, I think, 15 minutes to go over Cincinnati. And then Cincinnati, Jaron Cumberland's just awesome down the stretch and Memphis ends up losing the game. And afterwards, somebody asked about, you know, Cincinnati. And he said, you know, Mick's got incredibly tough players. You know, he recruited those tough players. You know, you have to recruit tough players. And it was just like the 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 implication was, I I got these Tubby Smith players who aren't that tough. You know, like give me time. My recruiting class is on the way. Then I'll have tough players too. But people then people are asking like, how do you? So how do you make your players tougher? He's like, I don't really know. You can. You know, it's got to be in them. So you have to recruit tough players. Mick recruited tough players, and, you know, we're just – we're not there yet. So that was his way of doing, you know, basically the same thing, which is what do you want me to do? This is what I inherited. I'm doing the best I can. And so I don't want to say every first-year coach does that because every first-year coach doesn't, but it's not unique to – it's not unique to Tom Crean. Yeah, it's it's not, um, but just the time I, – I agree, it's not. It was just, And, and it, that is one of the tougher ones because you're trying to, like, push forward, recruit – acknowledge that you know it's not a great situation for you in year one it's, it's sometimes it's it's tougher than expected not always you look at what max been able to do at louisville and you can say you know what certain coaches can can make more out of situations than others but uh but yeah the anthony edwards thing you know number one prospect on 247 sports that's a big get for him going forward and he, obviously a one and done player potential potential number one pick in a couple of years and now georgia gets its highest rank recruit ever and Crean, you know what, f for whatever struggles and frustrations and complaints that um, 
that Georgia fans or anyone on the program might have about this first season, which was to be, frankly, expected. This is what Georgia was thought to be. You get some big-time momentum here going in. Local kid stays home, and uh, Georgia should be a factor. I don't know if Georgia will be an NCAA tournament team under him or not. I got we, we so far away from, from knowing whether that's going to be the case or not. But Crean uh, clearly able to land him, and that's just that's, that's big news for him. And anytime you get an SEC school – Beating Kentucky for a five-star player, that's serious news. So Crean was able to get that done and bring you know more interest here to the, 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 the rankings coming forward with these classes. We'll see who and if he can get next to, uh, to get Georgia into the top ten. It now means that the top two players in the class of 2019, that is Anthony Edwards and James Wiseman, are both going to schools that are currently employing coaches who are in their first year's at those jobs, Tom Crean, Penny Hardaway. Also, I thought this was interesting. Um, now five schools with first-year coaches have top 20 recruiting classes in the class of 2019. It's Louisville with Chris Mack, number four-ranked recruiting class in the country. Georgia with Tom Crean, number 12, recruiting class in the country. Memphis with Penny Hardaway, number 13, recruiting class in the country. UConn, Dan Hurley, number 17, recruiting class in the country. And Xavier, um, with Travis Steele, um, got the 19th-ranked recruiting class in the country. So it's one of the things I've always said. Don't let a coach, particularly if you're a coach, if you're a fan of a, of a quality program, do not ever let the coach tell you it takes time to, to, to build a recruiting base or to, it, it takes time to, to get in there with recruits. It's not true. What I have found to be true over the years is that a coach's set, technically second recruiting class, because you got to remember, most of these guys get hired in March, and then they have to enroll a, a recruiting class that they build basically in the spring from nothing, and that is technically their first recruiting class. But the first real class is the second one they get. It's the one that they commit while they're coaching their first season. And what I have found to be true over the years is that guys who are going to be able to recruit at a high level that second class, the one that is committed while they're coaching the first season, um, is, is usually a pretty good reflection of what they're going to be able to do. Archie Miller, second class at Indiana, great class. L, uh, Will Wade's at LSU, great class. And now Chris Mack at Louisville, Tom Crean at Georgia, Penny Hardaway at Memphis, Dan Hurley at UConn, Travis Steele at Xavier, all putting together uh, very good second-year uh, classes. Um, while they are coaching their first seasons at their schools. And if I'm a fan of Louisville, Georgia, Memphis, UConn, Xavier, that's a good sign. Great sign. And uh, great stat there. Great nugget, GP. Bring it, bringing it late on the pod with some good info. And I was unaware that, that uh, all those coaches, all those programs had been so good in, uh, in the year here. So, all right, we got to wrap here. I got to do an HQ hit. So let's, uh, let's bounce out of here. And people that listen to the podcast, if you are not, do bring up HQ, CBS Sports HQ on your uh, – smart TVs, apps, all that stuff. If you love the podcast, a lot of the stuff that we do here, to different extents, we're doing on HQ with video stuff, and it's only going to be coming more frequently from Parrish and myself as obviously we get deeper into February and March. So be sure to try and check that out. Uh, we appreciate it. And just as our bosses appreciate how you listen and subscribe to the podcast, all the more when it comes to HQ. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's the legend. Shouts to Larnell. We'll never forget about Larnell. And if you haven't subscribed to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast, please go do that. Rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments. If you subscribe, you'll never um, have to ask, uh, like a lot of people have done on Twitter uh, early today, um, have you uh, recorded a new episode yet? Because as soon as we get it done and loaded in iTunes, 
um, it's going to be right in your phone. So you'll have it as quickly as possible. Again, the reason we didn't have it last night is because of travel issues. But it's here now, and we will record either late Tuesday night or early Wednesday again. So uh, appreciate you listening. Go subscribe. We're going to talk to you again real soon. Until then, take care.